to get across to the disciples and, and therefore to us. And so we need your uh, guidance, and we pray the Holy Spirit would open this passage to our understanding and to the application in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Who are the main characters then? The main characters, first of all, Jesus, right? And then who's the next main character? Who? God, the Father. The Father is the next main character. He is uh, what's called the gardener or the vine dresser, uh, depending on your version. We're going to have a few little differences in, in versions today that all mean basically the same thing, but we'll talk about that. And then, of course, we have one other character, and that's the believers. That's us who are the branches. So those are the, remember who the characters are. And if you want to get a key thought from this, that's pretty simple. Look at verse 5. In verse 5 it says, For apart from me, the last part of verse 5, For apart from me you can do nothing. So if you're not connected to the vine, fairly simply stated, you, can do in, you cannot do anything in the Christian life. Spiritually you can do nothing. Now, okay, I, I can't stop yet. I've got to keep going. Key word. What do you think the key word is in these 11 verses? the word that's repeated 10 times in 11 verses. Abide. Abide, or how did I read it? Some of you have it a different word. What is it? Remain. Okay. So abide or remain, obviously, are the key words. Uh, the word is meno in, in the Greek. It's used every time in that passage. And it means to, to stay, to continue, to abide, to be present or to be, in our words, <laughs> Keith's pointing out something to me this morning that I thought is it's hilarious. When the pastor's sitting there talking, the new, our new pastor is talking, giving examples about what he might want. You can tell your age when you don't recognize anything he said, <laughs> unless your grandkids tell you. That's beside the point. Be connected. Be connected in our language today. Be connected. When, so it's extremely important. When Jesus said, abide in me, he's saying, stay connected to me. Now, he used a simple illustration here. And I'm going to use a couple of simple illustrations today as well. Say, if you're married... You have a position that is put in place and sealed by a marriage license, and that doesn't change. But there are times in your marriage that you may not be connected. Uh, and I, 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 hate, I don't like to use personal examples, but they, you guys like me to use personal examples of when I fail, so I will use a personal example. Uh, there was a few years ago, I asked my wife, you know, how could I be better? I think she will notice, she will note that I haven't asked this question since then, but I asked that question. On that yes, I'm going to tell you, unfortunately, I'm going to tell you the answer. I had to finish that list. He's on that list. Uh, and, uh, yes. The, I asked how I asked how I could go, 
I said, I, I already assumed that I'm pretty close on a scale of one to 10 of being a good and effective husband. I figure I'm pretty close to a 10 already. I'm making that assumption. And she did not respond to that, but I, would, I made that assumption anyway, as, as most of the men would do in here today. And because uh, we, we're really good at kidding ourselves. So I, I, I already said I, was, I, I think I'm close to him, but if I wanted to get all the way, let's say I'm an eight or a nine, and I'm not going to really accept anything less than that. You see, I really, 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 you know, am going ahead and judging and wanting her just to say, no, everything's fine. So I said, I'm at about an eight or a nine. What could, is there anything that could get me to a 10? And I, you know, then I said, man, I shouldn't have said this. But she was so gracious, and she said, yes, and this part, serious. She said, yes, at times, I want you to be more present. And I said, okay, at times you want me to give you more presence. <laughs> now, because that's easy, right? I can do that. I've done, done. But that's not what she meant, and I understood that, and you understand it. In other words, we could be married for a long time, the exact same time that the Claybos have been married, we found out, married on the same day. And we can be married for this long, extended period of time, but there are times when we cannot be, you would say, we're not connected. Doesn't change our position, but we're not connected. So I, I, it's, uh, that's my interpretation of what he's trying to get across. So be present, be connected. Now, I, went, I thought it would be okay, so I just went over to my next door neighbor's house yesterday and they have a beautiful rose bush, so I just cut off a branch off their rose bush. I thought that would be fine. No, I didn't. So all of you are going, oh, you did what? No, I didn't do that. Okay. Right? May's over there going, I can't believe he did that. I'm leaving this class. That guy, is, he's really, he's a thief. No, I didn't do that. We, we have a rose bush in our yard. And so, and we cut, you cut them back every year. As a matter of fact, I'll give you a Neil Sperry's tip. You know, Neil, you, know who, you know who Neil Sperry is? Neil Sperry, the gardening guru in Dallas, of course. I, I like to read his little deal, but I, cannot st I could not stand his radio program because he thought he was the, he, he just really loved himself. But he says that you ought to cut back your rose bushes uh, every year on, and he said a good day to way to remember it is February 14th, which is Valentine's Day. Roses get it. Get the connection. So you cut them back, and then they grow, and they grow, and they grow, and grow. You prune them, and they really, it really does help them. Now, you don't cut them to the ground. You know, there's certain places to cut it to. So we're going to cut this rose bush back anyway. So I went on. I asked. I did ask my, my uh, wife. I said, is it okay if I cut this off after I cut it off? Um, and um, I said, is it okay if I cut this off? She said, yes. So I went and cut this off. You know what? This just, you, you can see the top of it. Just a short time ago, this is a beautiful rose, a beautiful rose, and maybe next year it will be again. But now, what is this good for? What is this good for? Huh? Nothing. It's good for nothing. What's going to happen to it? Why is it going to die and wilt up and be thrown out? It's cut away from the vine. It's cut out of the vine. That's the illustration Jesus is giving. And they're more familiar with it. They're more familiar with it as far as what he was referring to in the vine than we are. And I'll show you that in a second. Let me give you a brief outline. 
And that's a good way to remember it. Number one, Jesus is the believer's true source of life and fruitfulness. Verse uh, 1a. Okay, good. It's up there. Number two, the Father tends the vineyard. Okay? Remember our three characters. Jesus is the true vine. The Father is the gardener. And believers are the branches. Number three, the abiding in Jesus, being connected to him, produces spiritual fruit and answered prayers. Verse 5 and verse 7. Um, failure, number 4, failure to stay connected to Jesus results in loss, verse 6. That's an important verse. We'll come back and explain that I, uh, in just a minute. Number 5, obedience to Jesus produces fruit and glorifies the Father, verses 8, 9, and 10. And then he concludes with uh, verse 11. The result in your life, Jesus said, is joy. I gave you, earlier on this week, I sent out a note and said two questions that, I mean, it's a great passage, we're going to study it, but I, I, I have the same questions in my mind every time I read John chapter 15 and study it, especially early on in my Christian life as I was trying to study and learn the Bible and learn what Jesus was meaning. I really had two questions with this passage, and the first question is uh, around verse 6. Does verse 6 mean that believers who are in the vine, who are attached to the vine, can lose their connection and therefore lose their salvation and therefore be burned, as he says here, is that an illustration of eternal punishment and suffering? Well, I mean, most of you know the answer is no. So what does he mean? And we'll talk about that. It's, it's, not, it's not wrong to have the question. What's wrong is to not find out the answer. Because the Bible is replete with all of the um, assurances of believers' salvation. So we'll get to that in just a moment. Number two, what does it mean in verse 7? And thank you, new pastor, for stealing my thunder because he's already explained this. What does it mean in verse 7 when it says that believers can ask for anything they want and God will give it to them? So if you heard the service this morning, <coughs> he, told him, he said exactly what I told him to say uh, before the service. <laughs> But I told him to wait till the next week, but it didn't work out. All right. Let me, let me give you four observations by one of my favorite writers, and that's Chuck Swindoll. Uh, it's not in his Bible, but it's in his commentary. I say his Bible. It's, this, it's the Bible he put together and comments on. It's not his Bible. Um, the four observations of this passage, because I think it's important to learn. The passage has meaning for believers only. This is not a passage... Very simply, we'll show you in a second, but this is not to believers and unbelievers. This is Jesus is speaking to his disciples. And this is about abiding, remaining, continuing, being connected to him, not for uh, unbelievers who have not become part of the family yet. Number two, Jesus uses the metaphor of a vineyard, which is a powerful Metaphor used often in the Old Testament of Israel, and I'll give you the verses of Scripture up there that it's, that it's used and how it's used. So you can read that sometime. We'll refer to that in just a moment. And number three, the primary subject is abiding, not bearing fruit. There's a lot about bearing fruit, but the key is to abide. And not bearing, if we abide in Him, we, we, if we stay connected, fruit will result, not the other way around. Have you ever been in... 
churches or activities where you could tell that all of the activities was trying to be done and the power or the ability or the strength of that person or that organization, but not being done as led by the Spirit of God and being empowered by the Spirit of God. And so that, uh, Jesus is talking about here, he said, without me, you can do nothing spiritually. So, important point. The illustration was familiar to the disciples, and as I said a moment ago, but it's unfamiliar to us because this is, uh, there's not many, anybody here have a vineyard? Any, before I say that, anybody, no, no, no vineyard owners? Good. So it's, it's probably not a real good, and it doesn't qualify that you're familiar with the illustration if you've seen one from a distance and done like we did. We were France and run out over the street, and when nobody was looking, grabbed a grape from the vineyard and snuck back into our car and drove off. That doesn't make us an expert on vineyards. These people that he's talking to were experts. They knew it because all over the Holy Land, uh, even today. The point is that illustrations, this is so important in studying the Bible. This is one of the principles of biblical interpretation. And they teach it in, in, in school, they call it uh, hermeneutics. It's the study of how to interpret the scripture. And there's a lot of rules around that if you want to do it consistently. One of the rules is that you don't create Bible doctrines out of illustrations. Here's an example. If I say, now I've played golf with Glenn before and Terry and other guys that in our church. When Glenn hit, and Terry would agree with me on this, Terry, Terry has finesse when he hits the ball. He, he doesn't look like he's swinging very hard. He just sort of swings, boom, boom, right down the middle. Makes me sick. Um, but... <laughs> When Glenn, Glenn doesn't always hit it right down the middle, but uh, so I can relate a little bit more to Glenn. And uh, when Glenn hits the ball, though, I would say it's like it's like John pounding a nail into it with a hammer. I mean, there's no he doesn't walk up and go. No, when Glenn comes up, man, he grips that club like he's going to hit it to the next country. And when he swings, he swings, and he swings everything he's got, he puts into it and gets all the way through it, and he's almost on the ground. He hits it so hard. And it's like pounding a nail. That's what I think about when I think of him hitting the ball. He goes after it. Now, that illustration of, of him hitting the golf ball, and I illustrate it by, you know, like when John pounds that nail into the board, I, I'm not trying, I'm just trying to say he hits it hard. I'm not trying to say, now think about, I'm, really, I'm not really trying to say, you know, remember the claw on the hammer? That typifies the arc that he has when he brings the claw. That's not what I'm talking about. When I say he hits the ball like he hits it, hitting the nail with a hammer, I mean he hits it hard. And what we try to do is we try, many times in biblical interpretation, people go off into wild kind of beliefs because they try to take a simple illustration and find out that, oh, well, you know, this is what the toenail means on the image in Daniel. And that's not the purpose of this metaphor. So when you're thinking about this, or this story, this illustration, think about what's the big picture that he's trying to get across, okay? Now, let's read uh, again, Alice, go verse by verse. I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. 
and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that they will produce even more. Now, in the Old Testament, the, the vine is a symbol for Israel many, many times. I gave you the verses you know, just a few moments ago. But in every case where Israel, Israel is, is seen as the, and is identified with the vineyard, in every case it's because they do not produce fruit. And it's always a, you're God's vineyard, but you're not producing any fruit. And so it's always in condemnation. And so when Jesus says this, he said, look, I am the true vine. And all of these guys standing around, they know what he's talking about. They all say, oh, you mean, we always heard Israel was God's vineyard. And that that's where the fruit and the glory and the evidence of God would come from to all nations. And Jesus said, I'm the vine. And unless you're a part of that vine, you're not a part of the true vineyard of God. So, uh, verses, uh, when he said verse 2, he, uh, underline these words in your, in your Bible because we need to talk about them. They're important words. He cuts off every branch. Cuts. Cuts off. I, I'd underline that. Interesting word. And then underline the word prunes the branches that do bear fruit. Does anybody have different words in their translation? Purges. Purges. That's a good word. Anybody have different words for cuts off? Pardon me? Takes away. Okay, good. Anybody else? Good, because I don't think there are any more words that you could put in there, so that's good. So let's talk about those two words. The, um, the, the word cuts off is the word Iro, A-I-R-O, and it's used uh, several times, but it's used in one of two ways. Matter of fact, John uses it in two ways. John uses it to mean lift up, or to lift up from the ground and to carry away. You can interpret it in two ways. It's either to lift up that branch or to lift up that branch, cut it off, put it aside. So once again, so which one is right? Well, I don't know. I, I'm sure you're glad that you came today so I could tell you that I don't know. I can tell you what, I, what uh, interpretation and translation that I think, because I, I think fits best, after reading 77,000 commentaries and all the different things that everybody says, I think it's this one, I think it's this one. I think it, what, I think it fits best if you use the lift up from the ground as this time of the season, the vine dresser goes and he has some vines laying on the ground. And that's not where they ought to be. So what, what's there in the vineyard are trestles, right? And so he takes the, he, at this part of the season, he's not going to chop it off yet. He wants it to grow. He's going to give it a chance to grow. We're going to talk about those that uh, they're taken away in just a moment. But he, he, he takes that and he can lift it up, using that word, tie it up, and give it another chance to grow. Or it can mean that he comes and prunes it at that time, in, in our word prune. 
That's not going to be the word prune that he uses in just a moment. I'll give you a sneak preview. But he, he said I, I, it could mean either one. I believe, though, that it fits the context of the vine dresser in this growing season. It doesn't match up to me that the vine dresser comes in and he sees this vine laying on the ground at the beginning of the growing season, still connected to the vine. And to me, it makes sense that he says, well, let's lift it up, give it an opportunity to grow, rather than we're done with you. I'm a little dramatic there, but I, you know, I, I don't think that's exactly in the growing season what was pictured there. That had a thorn on it, too. Um, so, I, I, think that's, I think that's what he's saying. He said, the vine dresser, and this is what God does. Can you picture this? This is what God does when he comes and he says, okay, Mike's dragging the ground a little bit. <laughs> she told me to say that. No, Mike, Mike's dragging the ground a little bit. I'm, I'm going I'm I'm to, you're three. <laughs> I'm going to lift him up, tie him up, and give him a chance to produce fruit. Amen? I think that's what, I think that's what God does for us. Yes. What about prune? Prune. Now, prune is, is very clearly... It's the, same word, it's the same word in verses 2 and 3. You've already been pruned. Well, verse 2. And he prunes the branches. It's the word cleans. Cleans. Same word. You've already been clean, cleansed, uh, purified. Same word by the message I've given you. I don't know, and I really don't know why the translators do that. They didn't ask me which I can understand why, because I wouldn't know what I'm doing, but I know that in this verse, I, I, you, know, you check the other verses, and I'll I tell you another verse that, that gives the same, uses the same word that will help you understand it. In, in John chapter 13, verse 10, remember uh, John 13, 10, where Jesus is washing the feet of the disciples. What does Peter say? Anybody remember what Peter says after he washed their feet? Somebody Remember? I know you know, you're afraid to say. Jesus washes their feet, and Peter says, Lord, not just my feet, but wash all of me. And what does Jesus say? Jesus says in verse 10, and ye are what? Clean. Clean. So how do you know what that means? And ye are clean, though not every one of you. Who is he referring to? Judas. So he said, he uses the same, that's the same word that's used in John chapter 15. So what is he saying? The, he's saying the, he cuts off every branch, he lifts up every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes, he, he cleans it up. He cleans up the vine. Now he may have to snip here and snip there a little bit and train that vine to grow, but he cleans it up. And he said, you're, you're already, look at verse 3. You've already been pruned and purified by the message I've given you. You're already clean. He's talking to believers. He's talking to, you're already clean, disciples. I've already purified you by my word. All right? So this is not an illustration about salvation. God has already done his work. They were clean, connected to the vine, and when you're connected to the vine, 
and he's tied you up and he's lifted you up and continued to train you and snipped a little bit here and snipped a little bit there to keep you connected, then what happens? You will produce more fruit. We clean up that rose bush from this one right here. We clean this rose bush up. We cut it down to six inches, eight inches off the ground, clean it up. What happens? We'll probably have a very beautiful rose bush come next summer. It'll produce more fruit. Now, let's talk about fruit. What fruit is Jesus speaking of? Jesus is speaking of, I mean, fruit is common, commonly used in Scripture as evidence. An apple tree gives off the fruit, and an apple tree doesn't produce green beans. It produces apples. It's an evidence that the fruit is the evidence of what kind of tree it is. So this apple tree produces fruit. The, fruits are ap the fruit is an apple, so it, it, it is evidence uh, that it's connected to an apple tree. Jesus uses that illustration. I was taught when I was uh, a teenager, and we were in, in, the, in the midst of sort of a teenage revival in the church that we were in, I was taught that fruit meant one thing, evangelistic success. And that the only fruit that we really bear is when we win people to Christ, that's our fruit. Well, according to the Bible, there's many more examples of fruit than evangelistic success. So let me give them to you. I don't know if I gave this. Here's some examples. You may want to, did I give this to you or is it up on there? No, it's not. Um, so, number one, here's some examples of fruit. When we're connected, we'll bear more fruit. And here, one of the things that one one example of fruit is when we went other people to Christ. There, I mean, there's people in our church, people we see today that are there because someone talked to them, they got saved, and that's their fruit. Paul talked about that often. Romans 1:13 is example. He said he wanted a harvest among them. He wanted their, he wanted to have fruit. He wanted to win people to Christ. Romans 6:22, number two, obedience is a fruit. Obedience, the benefit you reap, the Bible says in Romans 6.22. Christian giving is a fruit. Romans chapter 15, verse 28. The Gentiles were giving to the poor saints. The Gentiles who had just been saved were giving money and a gift to the poor saints in Jerusalem so they could eat. And, and Paul said, that's, that's fruit. That you're the fruit here, it supports these guys down in Jerusalem. It's just like our mission. You know, that's our fruit. When we're giving, you, you put your $20 in and you give toward, toward our, our mission projects that we have. And, and that's, the, that's the fruit of abiding with Christ. The evidence that we are, um, that we are abiding in Him. And our class, and this group, because it's also groups of believers. Here's a group of believers that Paul says, here's your fruit. They, he said, I want you to have more fruit. Give more. Okay? The pastor didn't ask me to say that either, so that, that was a free uh, advertisement. Number four, exercising spiritual gifts. Exercising spiritual gifts. Listen, that's, that is the fruit. God gives us all a spiritual gift. Some of you haven't got your handle, you haven't got, you haven't got it around that yet. You haven't figured that out yet. Okay, listen. 
Take time at Christmas and figure that out. Because all of you have a spiritual gift. And you utilize that gift amongst one another. And, and you know, I can just look out here, the things you do. Okay, so, so Tammy, your, your, your service in helping us in, in, with prayer and helping us grow in prayer. It's, it's a gift that God's given you. You're not serving me and you're not serving the class when you do that. You're serving Jesus when you do that. And that's why I don't ever ask, I don't have any problem asking people to serve if I feel God's led them. I mean, Mike is serving, you're helping with our, our missions fund. We, you're not just serving, or, I mean, you're helping our class, but you're serving Jesus. That's his money. It's his missionaries. And, and Julie, when you're giving the, helping in the care ministry and taking flowers over, you do that. You're the hands of Jesus. You're serving Jesus. When you guys sit back there in the back and, and uh, do the crossword puzzle instead of listening to me. No, not really. Um, <laughs> and when you, and when you, when you, I know you're going to take me off here all of a sudden. I know it. You take, yeah, okay. I know. Well, but you're not, you're helping me, and I thank you for it, and I thank you for it today. But you know what? You're not serving me. You're serving Jesus every time you do that. And every time you turn that microphone on so that people can hear, you serve Jesus. Every time you put in that little, what do you call it, little thing? That little, uh, yeah, the thumb drive, whatever that thing is. Whenever you stick that thing in there and you take all the, the stuff that I've typed up, you serve Jesus, you, you know, and that's the fruit of abiding in Christ. And the fruit of, of helping others. And when you fill out the, uh, you know, the, the forms and everything, make sure we have our visitor's name on. Sal, that's, that's the fruit, that's the evidence that you, you're not serving me and, and, and you're serving Jesus. And when you go to the pantry on, and, and give out food, you're serving Jesus. Donna, you're not serving just those people. You're, ser- you're the hands of Jesus giving food to people. And we forget that our, our binding in Christ, that's the fruit that we're having. That's the fruit that we're displaying. And some of you, nobody ever sees your fruit and it publicizes your fruit. Don't be offended by that. Because remember, you're not serving us, you're serving Jesus. Right? And when you... When you uh, when you help our new pastor uh, that we're, we're partnering with up at Front Range in Colorado, you help him, and we don't see, you know, not everybody knows Mike and, and Valerie are going to help in that ministry. And when you do that, you're serving Jesus. When you teach for me when I'm gone, Dennis, you're serving Jesus. You're not, you're helping me, but you're serving Jesus. Okay, now all those of you, when you make peach pie, no, I can't say that. Uh, it's close. It's close. I'm, I, I'll miss somebody, but you, you get what I'm saying. It's, that's the evidence. That's the evidence. It gets frustrating when you try to help someone and they don't respond. But the evidence is you have to, don't you? Don't you? Don't you understand what I'm saying? You say, well, I don't know if I help this person. They just don't care. And they didn't. But you can't help it because you're abiding in the vine and Jesus, you got the love of Jesus in your life and you have to share it. What do you do? You've got to share it <laughs> because it's you're abiding in the vine. Okay, man, I'm in trouble.
verse 6. We're going to get a very short view of verse 6 through 11. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away. Now, here we go. This, this, is, the, the, this is a difficult uh, verse to understand if you don't understand the context and other scripture. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. Some people would say this, this shows that you know, the branches, they can be cut off and burned and they lost their salvation and they can be uh, uh, eternal damnation. Uh, I, I got to tell you, that's a stretch, just, just if you know anything about the Bible. But just in case that you're questioned with that, you should be armed to understand that. And I, I'm assuming that you understand it, but I may be making a wrong assumption in some cases. I don't know. I don't really care because you can, be, you can help someone else who has a wrong assumption about that verse of Scripture. Remember the context. He's talking to believers. He's talking about abiding and the fellowship that we have in him. But I gave a couple verses. Who's got the verses? Who's got John 6, 37? Scott. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. I will never. All the Father gives to me will come to me, and him that comes to me, I will in no wise cast out, is how I memorized it and how I spoke from it from the first time in my life. He says, all that come to me, he says, I, I, I don't cut you off and cast you out. That's not, the, that's not the purpose of this whole illustration. Who's got John chapter uh, 10, verse 27 through 30? All right, Don, read that. My sheep listen to my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hands. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. All right. No one's able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. When a person says, well, you know, I used to be saved, but I'm not saved any longer. That doesn't work. Uh, Jesus said that doesn't work. You're either in his hand or you're not in his hand. One of the two. And no man can pluck you from, the, from his hand. Um, you didn't do anything to gain it. You don't do anything to lose it. You're, you're mocking the mercy of God when you say, ah, well, I lost it because I did such and such. That's not what this is teaching. Let me read Warren Wiersbe's statement. This is the best statement that I've read about it. It is unwise to build a theological doctrine on a parable or allegory. Jesus was teaching one main truth, the fruitful life of the believer. Just as an unfruitful branch is useless, so an unfruitful believer is useless. Uh, I don't like to be called useless. Well, I didn't, I didn't call you that. But if you're unfru unfruitful, that's what, this whole, that's what this whole passage is about. It, it, it's a tragic thing, Warren Worsby says. It's a tragic thing for a once fruitful believer to backslide and lose his privilege of fellowship and service. Chapter 15, verse 6 describes divine discipline rather than eternal destiny. Divine discipline rather than eternal destiny. The point is clear. Vine dressers toss disconnected branches aside because they're good for nothing. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I, I don't want to be good for nothing. Doesn't toss me into 
eternity without him, but I can certainly be unfruitful and not be useful. And that's, that's sort of a sad thing. Verse 7, but if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. Now, all of you already know what that means, right? Because you all heard the sermon this morning. And he was right. I was going to say the same thing. So it, it's, and, I, and I'm teasing, but when we get to the place that Jesus was at and, and when he, he taught us this prayer and then when he prayed in the garden, he said, Lord, if it's possible, he's praying to the Father, what does he say? If it's possible, let this cup pass from me, right? But then what did he follow on quickly and say? Not my will, but thine be done. And when he taught us the, the Lord's prayer as we commonly know it, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. What's the next words? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thy will be done. If our wanter is changed, and it's the same as God's wanter, then we have whatever we ask. And how does that happen? By abiding in him, by staying connected. All makes so much sense when you interpret the Bible with the Bible. Verse 10, so what does it mean to abide? When you, when you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. It's one word. It's obedience. Remaining in the vine is obedience. It's obedience to the Christian disciplines that we have. This will change some things in your life, if you think about it, in your Christian disciplines. I'm talking about Christian disciplines. What are the Christian disciplines that come to mind that you have, the things that we should practice to become strong Christians? Prayer. Prayer. What else? Reading scripture. Reading scripture. What else? What are the other? Fellowship with believers. Uh, service. Those are the Christian disciplines. There are others, but those are the main Christian disciplines. If you start thinking about, and this is what convicted me as I was thinking about it this week, I thought about being connected and producing fruit. I am, when I get, when I pray, when we pray, if you're, if you're like I am, and you may not be, but I have, uh, I have a list. Uh, don't raise your hand, but how many of you pray with a list? You have a, you have a list, okay? I have a list right here. And this list, it has th there's things on it that I add to it. This is a list that I get every week from you. It helps me, it prompts me in my prayer. But if we're not careful, this is what happens. Okay, it's prayer time. You know, it's my time to pray, and I read my, I read my chapter. Okay, I don't know what it meant. I have no idea what it, what it was really saying, but I read it. I crossed that one off for today. And now it's time for me to pray. I know i got to do that because Pastor Steve says that, and, and uh, I know Charlie says that every Sunday, and I'm supposed to do that, so let's get out the list. Okay, let's pray for uh, the Delaney's. Let's pray for the neighbors. Let's pray for Valerie. Let's pray for Carrie. Let's pray for the... And the Lord bless them. We bless everybody, don't we? Bless them, bless them, bless them, bless them, bless them. In Jesus' name, bless them. Okay, I'm done. 
you say, well, I, that's sort of like what I do. I know, because I, I, that's sort of like what I do a lot of times. But God spoke to me so directly through this passage this week and saying, look, you're connected to me. That's, that has nothing to do with prayer. <laughs> prayer is when you, when, when you, in your heart, and sometimes it's not even uttered. Go to Romans 8 and it'll teach you all about that. You can't even say the right things. You can't even pray the right way. But you enter into this place of great fellowship where you can say, Lord, I, I want your will to be done in this life. This is the issue. Your friend Lazarus is sick, for example. And this person, I, I don't even know how to pray. I pray for your will to be done. I pray for them to be healed I pray for them to be, uh, their finances to be redone. Lord, I, I, don't, I can't even imagine what it's like. Lord, I know you hear me. I know you know what I'm, what's in my heart. And Lord, they, they will not survive if they do not have this uh, answer to prayer. And we become connected about what prayer is all about. And it's... I, I can't do it without this. Uh, you know, I, I'll forget somebody that I really should be praying about. That's just my weakness. That's my memory. But that doesn't mean I'm praying. I'm connecting to my Savior in the vine. And I'm reading his word. And I'm, I'm looking and it says this. And I said, wait a second. What does that mean to me, Lord? What, what does that mean for me today? So what are the results? Verse 11, I have told you these things so that you'll be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. What are the results of abiding? One, prayers are answered. Two, God is glorified. Three, love is stimulated. Read the next few verses after that and you can see that. And joy will overflow. I have never in my life seen something so true as this illustration that Jesus gives. Never. This illustration is, is, is so perfect for your Christian life, for my Christian life. I don't think there's an illustration that Jesus gives in the Bible about, uh, about what will produce joy in my life any clearer than this. The greatest moments of joy in my life are when I know that I am connected to the vine. And I am abiding, I am staying, I am remaining, and as my wife suggested for me, be present. I am present. I, un, I, am, I am present at this moment in fellowship with you. I need your help. I need to understand what I need to be doing. What do I need to be serving? How do I need to be ministering? What do you have me to do today? Abiding in him. That brings joy. Nothing brings joy like that. Nothing. Let's pray. Thank you for this great illustration of what we're, uh, what we're missing if we, if we start grouping down and, and don't look for the, the gentle nudges and pulling and the stringing to the trestle what we miss and the fruit 
and the joy we miss by not entering into this type of connected relationship with you in our Christian life. We thank you for the opportunity, though. It's so clear when I look out at the faces in our class of those who are just so connected to you because they, the joy just shows all over them because they are connected and the, the evidence is so clear. We thank you for this uh, good day that you've given us to serve you in Jesus' name. Amen.